Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to the first episode of the Heads and Tails podcast. This is your host, Kevin Som. Today's episode is with Suzanne Barba, the athletic trainer at Westmore Central High School for the last 32 years, and she's also the athletic trainer that saved my life in a high school football game about eight years ago. Uh, I just want to explain the name of the, the podcast first. So Heads and Tails, obviously there's a coin toss before every football game, and there's a, a chance that you can either win the coin toss or lose the coin toss, 50-50 shot. It's a similar idea uh, in life. You never really know what's going to happen to you, and everything that every you know choice that you make, there is a potential risk or consequence that comes with that. I had a really bad head injury in high school, so that's kind of where the, the head's part of the name comes in. And then also, the tails part, I'm spelling it T-A-L-E-S, like you're telling a story. So I'm trying to use my story of my head injury and kind of the trials and tribulations that I went through uh, with that whole ordeal to hopefully be used as a catalyst for other people to share their stories of perseverance and inspiration to help other people who might be struggling at the time. My plan is to post an episode every Monday uh, so then you could kind of listen to it on your way to work and hopefully it'll set a good tone for you uh, in in your work week to hopefully uh, conquer the world or whatever you're trying to accomplish in your day, week, month, year. So give us a follow on Instagram, and you can stay uh, updated on which interviews we have coming up next. Without further ado, uh, listen to the the cool new intro song that the All-Star Music Empire uh, made for me, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks, guys. Sam, you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. All right, so I'm sitting here with Suzanne Barba uh, today for the Heads and Tails podcast. Uh, she's the athletic trainer at Westmore Central for the last 32 years, and she's also the athletic trainer that saved my life. Um, I just want to start off today about talking about some of the worst injuries that you've seen as an athletic trainer um, and then we'll get into my story and that whole ordeal. Okay well number one was yours. Uh, I did have another injury the year after you. It was a neck injury in football. Uh, The anatomy as far as the neck the C1 and C2 are the most two important vertebrae in the neck. Why is that? They actually protect the neck and at the top of the head it lets you rotate back and forth and the thing that's kind of scary about them they're very thin they're not very strong and we had a young man from a visiting team uh, break those two bones which was a little frightening but uh, the thing that was more frightening than anything is that he didn't realize he had anything wrong right so you said that he stood up after the hit right Mm -hmm. he did stand up but just um, his description initially made me nervous uh, the way he hit, I'm a very big mechanism of injury person. So you person. saw the hit? Yes. Okay. Actually, no, I didn't see the hit. I, he described it to me because we were, had a scrimmage going on, and they were practicing. There were four teams there. The, his group was playing on the 40-yard line down to the end zone on one side, and my kids were on the other side doing the same thing. And I just happened to look because I was on the field for another injury. Of course, there's always injuries. Um I looked over and I saw the coach with him on the field and he waved me over and he was laying on his back shaking his hands. Because he was like tingly Mm -hmm. or? I went up to him and I said, what's going on, buddy? And he said, my hands are asleep. And I right away said, don't move, that's your neck. He goes, but my neck doesn't hurt. Right. And we went through the whole exam and he didn't complain of anything. 
within five seconds, he said, you know, my hands are fine. Can I get up and play? And I went, no, 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 no. You know, let's go through this a little bit more. Um, all the testing we did, he was fine. We sat him up. He was fine. He stood up. He was fine. We walked him off to the sideline. And uh, as I was talking to him there, he took off his helmet. And then he said, you know, my neck hurts. And I got this horrible feeling that I, I pretty much knew what was going on, but I didn't think it was that serious. I thought he might have a fracture, but a compression fracture. Okay. So it only hurt when he's holding his own head up. Um, so we said, okay, we took his head, we took him, we supported him, we had him lay flat, and he felt so much better. There was no tingling, no nothing. Parents were wonderful. And I said, we should go get a check. They were ready to put him in the car. And I said, no, let's just put him in an ambulance to play it safe. And it was a good thing he did that. Yeah, well, he went to the hospital, and the doctors and the nurses, from what I understood from the parents, all thought he was doing okay also. They said he was laying on the cot texting. Okay. And uh, they ran some x-rays, and when the x-rays came back, they literally ripped the phone out of his hand and strapped him down because they realized what a severe injury it was. The fact that those uh, vertebrae are so thin, and they're at the very top of your head, or I should say at the top of your neck, they support your head. Um, if he had sneezed or turned the wrong way, it, uh, not, it wouldn't have paralyzed him, it actually would have killed him. So he ended up having emergency surgery that night, and uh, it went really well. Right. And the last I heard, he wasn't playing football anymore. We kept in touch for a little while. but um, I know I texted him for a while, too, when he was like struggling with the mm -hmm. whole not being able to play anymore and watching his friends play. Um, yeah, I remember calling you. You were very kind to do that for him. I no, appreciated yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I went through that, too, mm -hmm. so... Definitely know how that feels. Yes. Um, all right. So, what's the, what's another different injury that you've you've encountered as an athletic trainer that is pretty rare, but often you know, pretty traumatic. It can be traumatic. Yes. Um, we had a football player, another football player, uh, a couple years ago. It was a hot day. Not anything unusual. We still were we were no pads. It was just uh, uppers and a helmet. And the young man came in, kind of walking up on the balls of his feet. And I knew he had. He goes, my calves are cramping. So he got some ice, he drank some water, he went to the locker room. He came back later on and he said, I'm hurting all over and I noticed he was cramping all over. So we laid him down on the bench and long story short, eventually he started to cramp in every part of his body. I called his parents, I called the ambulance because we couldn't stretch him in any way. He was literally like a two by four. He swore to me that he was drinking lots and lots of water. So I got nervous that it might be something called hyponatremia where you actually drink too much water Okay. And it can actually take the salt and the potassium levels down. Dilutes you out. Yes. So I was concerned about that, but we, you know, he went by ambulance to the hospital and he was in near renal kidney failure. Um, and he also was at the beginnings of what they call rhabdomyolysis, where his muscles were starting to break down. And for you CrossFitters out there, that is the kind of like the, the elephant in the room, so, so you say, and, uh, in the CrossFit world, but I've never seen mm -hmm. anyone like anyone that I coached actually get that. But it's pretty dramatic. When I had the the football coach came in to check on him, and I literally asked him, "Can you hold him down while I get one leg up?" And we couldn't move him because he was like really stiff. Very very stiff. He was just cramping. It was his quads, his hams, his abdomen, his uh, butt, everything. Everything right. was going at the same time, and he was getting very uh, frustrated too which made him more tense oh okay um even his dad when he came in he goes no 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 you, we don't need an ambulance we'll put him in the car and he went to pick him up you know like like a baby and he couldn't even lift him he just he, he turned and looked at me like really i can't pick him up i said no that's why we're gonna go this way right and i believe he was in the hospital for almost for about five days lots of lots and lots and lots of fluids 
And this was during training camp, or? It was the first or second day, which was really odd. Right. Um, but we did ask some questions, and there was a possibility, but we don't know. Some of the kids were doing, you know, the weight gainer and the um, creatine type things, which is not necessarily a bad thing if you do it the right way, and you need to do it way before training camp starts. You know, you have to have it settle in your system and have a break in between. And uh, we don't know if we got the whole story from all of the kids, because we had a few kids cramped that day. They were all very similar, but not to the extent of shame. Yeah. Um, but if they didn't give themselves a break before running into all that stuff, it could have been an issue. But we don't. We still don't know to this day. Well, in CrossFit, they like when you go for your level one training course, mm-hmm. they say that the athletes at risk if they're doing a lot of like eccentric movements. So they 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 claim that if you have like a solid base and strength, like you're like not. It's not like you're doing CrossFit for the first time. You've like been maybe a bodybuilder or you have like some sort of strength mm-hmm. background. And then you start doing CrossFit with like pull-ups, like kipping pull-ups, and you have that like eccentric motion. Mm-hmm. That that's supposed to be something that kind of like sets off rhabdo. But I'm trying to think like in football, like he definitely didn't go into training camp like out of shape to the point where he, you'd think that that would happen. No, he's he was working out all summer. Right, he's and like he's, a, a Mike a, Burton, mm-hmm. yeah. and he's he's a very disciplined young man. So I mean, that was a question that came up as far as some other students. I'm not so sure that was true. But we asked those questions anyway because we want to know where things are coming from. It's just um, even the doctors didn't really seem to have a reason for it that particular day. Right. Well, you know, it was it was a warm day. Don't get me wrong, but he had just done the morning session and it was just helmets. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's not that intense. So. But he went on to have a pretty successful college career. So. That's what I heard. Yes. Yeah. You want to get into to my injury? Okay, what do you want to know? Well, let's start off with the what happened earlier in the in the morning for you. Oh, oh, that afternoon, you mean? Right. Well, yeah. I came to work and. Um, so Miss uh, Suzanne is also she goes by Miss Barba to all the <laughs> students. So that's why I'm, I have a habit of saying that. But she's also um, an EMT, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is where this part of the story is, is coming in on that day. I was at work that day, and I was in my office doing some paperwork. And uh, my pager went off for a call for a woman in labor. And it said second call in town, which usually means there's two calls going on at the same time. And daytime in most towns, especially in New Jersey, we're a very large volunteer group. Um, if you have a volunteer group that's already on one call, it's sometimes very difficult to crew up a second call. So I heard the call go off, and I called our principal at the time, called down the principal's office, uh, Mike Riley. What a great guy. Yeah, Dr. Yes, Riley. Yes, Dr. Riley. Uh, I called down, and I told his secretary what was going on, and I asked, could I leave? So she said, hold on. Comes right back. He said, go, go, go. So I left, and I met up with a fireman who was driving, and the two of us drove up to the house, and I got out of the rig, and the police officer said, do you have your catcher's mitt? And I went, Really? And I went inside, and I was very lucky and excited to say that I got to deliver a baby that day. And so I was on cloud nine. Actually, I was off the ground. Really cool, yeah. Yes. So that's how I started the day before the football game, you know. So I'll tell this part of the story. So at least the day of the game, I I had been having headaches for a week from the, the previous game. So after the, the game the week before, we were playing Livingston, I suffered a concussion uh, from a helmet-to-helmet hit that wasn't really anything out of the ordinary for me. I finished the game. Um, I didn't really feel that bad during the game. I didn't really have any symptoms. It wasn't really until 
that night and then the previous morning that I really um, started feeling the symptoms, which was really just a severe headache to the point where it felt like my brain was bouncing inside my head. So I, I was trying to be a tough guy, so I didn't really tell anyone that my head was hurting me. So I would practice the whole rest of the week. I didn't – my coaches were even, like, making comments to me saying that I was, like, being soft and stuff like that. And I was because I was avoiding contact. And I was a fullback and a linebacker, so my job was to, you know, stick my nose in there and make blocks and make hits and tackles. And that's the kind of player that I was. And that's, like, why I loved playing football was just to hit people. And I was, like, doing stupid spin moves and all sorts of wild stuff that I had – no right trying to do with my level of athleticism so eventually we we get to the the game day the same day that miss barbara delivered the baby and during gym class which i had voluntarily sat out the whole week because my head was hurting me so bad um we were running around the track and i was telling some of my friends that i was definitely gonna die that night because my head hurt me so bad so that probably should have been my first indication that I should have said something and probably not have played. But of course, you know, I wanted to be a big tough guy and I played that that uh, that night. Um, there were some other things involved that made me want to do that. So if we didn't win that game, we wouldn't have gone to the playoffs and I hadn't been in the playoffs the whole time I was in high school and that was one of my goals. So that was a factor. Um, and I was a competitor, so I wanted to, to play. I wanted to make plays and be the guy you know uh so just before kickoff i took about four advil to try to subside my headache that i was having um it didn't really help that much (laughs) so about just before the second quarter started i received a hit to the side of my head and i started seeing blurred vision so i did think it was weird but of course, I took my, I talked myself out of it, and I was saying that I was probably sweating my eyes or something like that. And on the very next play, I ended up scoring a touchdown. So that kind of further validated to me that I was okay. Not so much, because just before halftime, I was running the ball again. Then a defender wrapped my legs up in the backfield, and as I was going down, a second defender came in with his shoulder right into my face so I slammed my head on the ground from that impact and I thought that the second hit was somewhat unnecessary so I stood up to see why the referee hadn't uh, thrown a flag for unnecessary roughness or a late hit or something like that and as soon as I stood up I couldn't feel my legs so at this point I'm definitely freaking out my head's killing me I can't feel my legs so I walk back to the huddle and I'm telling my the guys my buddies in the huddle that I'm like I just kept repeating this. I'm like, like I definitely have a concussion or something. I definitely have a concussion. And I remember a couple of my friends helped me off to the sideline. And this is the part where it starts getting a little fuzzy. And I'm going to need uh, Miss Barber to kind of pick up the missing pieces. But I remember coming to the bench. And I remember I was really scared at this point because I couldn't feel my legs. So I knew it was something serious. I never remembered anyone saying that when they had a concussion that they couldn't feel their legs. So I was like, might be something a little bit more than a concussion. I remember sitting down, and that's pretty much the last thing that I remember. So, if, uh, Suzanne, if you could uh, kind of fill in that little spot there. 
Well, you don't. You may not remember coming off the field, but when you first started walking off, you had your two teammates holding. I don't know, not holding you up, but side by side with you. Right. And I said, Kevin, what's going on? And you said, which I've never had a student say this to me, my brain hurts. Most people tell me I have a headache. And you said to me, my brain hurts and my legs feel like rubber. And I said, take a knee. And you said, no, I can make it to the bench. And I said, are you sure? He goes, but my brain hurts and my legs feel like rubber. You were very repetitive, right. but you wouldn't take a knee. We weren't, by that time, we weren't that far from the bench. So you sat on the bench and I checked you out and I knew you, in my mind, you had a concussion. You weren't yourself. Uh, the doctor at the game that day said, well, let me take a look at him. While she was looking at you, I got to stand back kind of as a, a different observer, you know, on, you know, not in the same place that she was. And I was watching you, and I know you, we've known each other for the four years that you were there. And I said, he's different. I'm going to call the ambulance over. And she goes, okay, you know him better than I do. Then you just went through a series of lots of um, symptoms. There's so many different symptoms for head injuries, but you had the repetitive speech. You told me you were nauseous. I brought a trash can to you, and then you said, why did you bring that to me? And I said, because you said you were nauseous. And then you looked at me and you said, I am nauseous, but why did you bring the can? So you had some confusion. Um, your father came out, you didn't recognize him. At one point you kind of stared at him and I asked you, I said, do you know who that is? And you didn't um, respond. So uh, as the doctor was talking to you and I was noticing your changes, I, I, like I said, I called the ambulance. And then you got that infamous right-sided gaze that my heart went into my throat and I knew you had a brain bleed. And then I kind of jumped back and I got on the radio and I asked them to dispatch a paramedic unit to meet us line of sight for a brain injury, for a traumatic head injury with seizure. And the doctor kind of looked at me like, what are you doing? And sure enough, you went and seized. And while we were taking care of you, um, somebody said to me, do you want a helicopter? And I said, I don't want it if I have to wait for it because the rig is right here, I'd rather get rolling. Right. Because we were within, usually the rule of thumb is if you're within 20 minutes to drive to just go because it's quicker to get to the hospital. But I didn't have a paramedic for paramedic unit for you. We just had the BLS unit, which is basic life support. And I had this fear that you needed to, or this unwillingness, not unwillingness, this fear that you needed to be intubated. Because I didn't know if you, when the seizure was going to stop or if you were going to be able to breathe. So when they said to me, um, we're going to ask, I said, well, ask, but I'm not waiting. And you had a guardian angel that night. The helicopter was four minutes out coming back from another call. So they landed at the field down the road. By the time we packaged you up and got you down there, they were literally landing as we pulled in. And my thought process was, well, that's my paramedic unit. That's my ALS because I didn't have one close enough. So we went with it. And I remember them coming into the truck. They said, what do you have? And I explained to them very quickly because they said, we all have 30 seconds to get out of here because the fog was coming down. Yeah, it was like the weirdest night weather-wise. Mm -hmm. Like the fog was so bad that it, during the game, you like couldn't even see the other team. Uh, because it was like that thick of fog. And I remember the flight medic saying, you have 30 seconds to give me a report because we're in the, on the verge of being grounded. And I gave the report while we were scooting you down across the baseball field. And I remember putting you in and they said, run. And we all took off so the helicopter could take off. And uh, you went off to the hospital. But I will say you made my night because just before we put you in there, you woke up and recognized me. Right. So I knew we had a some good good things got happening and i remember that's when i start remembering things slightly because i remember you had the bag valve mask that was breathing for me mm -hmm. and in my own head i thought that that was like going against my breathing patterns i was like what the hell is this freaking thing doing here i don't want this so i remember i pushed it away and that was when you asked me the question i don't remember like what my answer was but mm -hmm. i do remember that moment and then 
I remember being in the helicopter and them asking me, like, if I was allergic to anything or, like, stuff like that. And I remember I knew the answers to this stuff, but I was so tired. All I asked was, like, can I just fall asleep? That's all I asked. Mm -hmm. And I think they said I could, but I don't know. I was struggling for sure. And then I remember when we got to the hospital, they just they brought me into the emergency room or whatever room they brought me into, and I just threw up everywhere. So I was pretty upset about that. I, mean, I was apologizing to the nurses. I was I was very embarrassed. Well, that was definitely a sign too. Luckily, you didn't do that with me. <laughs> yeah. So, and then at that point, I thought I was fine. Like I felt fine, other than my head hurting, but like cognitively, I was fine like my, I remember my mom coming in like her asking me questions and then eventually later that night my coaches came in and we were talking I was like talking about plays and I apologized for like missing tackles and stuff like that and I know the game like went into triple overtime and we eventually lost but either way my my buddies fought for me I think mm-hmm. um do you remember I know you came to the hospital that night mm-hmm. too do you remember what the doctor said or well, one thing that I didn't mention before, when your seizure was done, as you mentioned the bag valve mask, people don't understand that, you had actually uh, not stopped breathing, but you're only breathing about two times a minute on your own. So the reason why you were feel the fighting, I was trying to catch your breath when you had it and then fill in in between oh, okay. so we can at least get some oxygen to you. Um, but that's why you felt a little bit of a fight because sometimes I was pushing it in and you weren't breathing at all. Right. When we got to the hospital, I remember your father pulling me aside and he said, the doctor would like to talk to you because I guess the ER didn't really think you had a seizure. And I was, I was flabbergasted by that. But you, when you got there, from what I understand, you were so with it. Right. They couldn't believe that you were doing that well. So the doctor came over and started asking me some questions, and I'll never forget her writing as fast as she could because I gave her, from the minute you got, the minute we started to talk to the mm-hmm. minute you, I put you in the in the helicopter, and then from what I understand, when your CAT scan came back, it was pretty much they knew I was telling the truth. <laughs> right, it was pretty yeah. bad. Yeah. So, but that she just wanted to know everything from the minute, and she even asked me. She said, I understand he had a head injury the week before, and that's when I was like a big time out. Right, yeah, Someone you didn't, didn't know that. that. Yeah, <clears throat> I didn't know that. Because I remember I was sitting in the whatever room I was in with my dad, and the doctors, because my CAT scan was so bad, they're like, mm-hmm. what the hell happened that this like, CAT scan is so bad? Like, did you have a, a, a head injury before this? And since I, I didn't have a diagnosed head injury because I didn't say anything, mm-hmm. but I had been telling my dad on and off all week that my head was bothering me. So we kind of put two and two together that, yeah, I probably did have a head injury from the week before. And I think that's when they diagnosed me with the second impact syndrome mm-hmm. and the subdermal hematoma, which I think are usually like closely associated. Like Usually you have both of them. Well, I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, the doctor said you had a subdural and a subarachnoid. You had two separate bleeds. I don't know. What, I only yeah. know about the subdural. But, but they're not good. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're not good. And you, um, but the one, it's, it's a slow bleeder. So you probably, well, the fact that you told somebody that um, you felt like your brain was sloshing around. Right, that was that's probably pretty a significant. Bleed. Yes, you were probably bleeding slowly. Well, yeah. you, pr- you were bleeding slowly all week, and then when you got the next hit. Right, so if just, anyone thinks that I'm not tough, I play with a, a brain bleed for a whole entire week, just so you guys know that. Okay. Um, not smart. Yeah, definitely not smart, but I'm definitely really tough. Um, so they never told me this, but second impact syndrome, and at least with the associated brain bleed, usually has a fatality rate of about 
Yes. And out of those that survive, they're usually always cognitively impaired in some way. So the fact that I'm here today and I am the way that I am, like fully functioning cognitively, some people might question that because I'm a bit of a goofball. But anyway, um, it's definitely like a miracle. And I definitely credit Miss Barba, uh, her, her fast actions for contributing to saving my, my life. Um, and that's part of the reason why I'm starting this podcast. Um, not necessarily to talk about like injury prevention and stuff like that, but eventually I needed to have uh, a craniotomy to relieve the pressure on my brain. So that's a craniotomy is when they drill a hole into your skull um, and they they drain the blood. And it was also because my brain was swollen too. So they did that to um, relieve the pressure. Yeah, relieve the pressure. Mm-hmm. So at this point. I, I had the surgery two days after the initial injury. I think it was on a Sunday. Because mm-hmm. I think they were hoping that the blood was going to drain itself. Well, they hoped that the body might reabsorb it. Okay. So, but the other problem is that I was born with arachnoid cysts in my brain. So that they're like sacks of fluid that your brain like develops around them. But I think they usually tell people that if they have them, they're not supposed to play contact sports. I guess for maybe that reason. But you wouldn't know that you had an arachnoid cyst unless you got a CAT scan. So I wouldn't, it's not anything I could have really prevented. Um, so I had that surgery and I was in the intensive care for five days, I think. And then I was, I stayed in the hospital for another five days after that. And then I think I was at home for like another two weeks before I went back to school. So after about, Maybe two months, I think. It was like, maybe like, I don't know. When do you think I got the infection? I thought it was within the, like, wasn't it not long after you came home? Yeah, but I remember it like snowed that day, so I don't know if it's... I just remember coming to your house again to take care of you. (laughs) Yeah, so one anyway, uh, not a very long time after the first surgery, (laughs) I had, I woke up one morning and my head was swollen like significantly out to the side right where the surgery was so I knew that that probably wasn't a good thing so we went back to the hospital and then I had a bunch of tests done they did some uh, what do they call it petri dishes those Mm -hmm. little like cultures Mm -hmm. um, to see what kind of infection I had in my brain Um, and then they realized it was a pretty bad infection so I ended up being in the hospital for uh, another four days for that one, I think, because they had to reopen uh, the the surgical site. Because when you have a craniotomy, they covered the hole with my own bone, but that's what got infected. So they had to go back in, take the bone flap out. So now I just have a a hole in my head, basically. And for the longest time, I could like see my pulse out of that little hole in my head. But I think I developed so much muscle around my jaw, it's just can't even tell anymore. Um, Probably not, but <laughs> anyway, um, what was I saying? You had the surgery to clean it out. Right. Okay, so then I had to go on these IV antibiotics for six weeks, I think. So they put a pick line in my arm. So basically, like, it's like a tube that's sticking out of your arm, and they snake it all the way through, like, close to your heart. So then it disperses the medicine, I guess, more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And... Well, just when I thought it was all over, not quite, because I woke up another morning, 
And my joints were like really achy and it hurt to sit down. I was like, this is kind of weird. And I started getting itchy. And once you start getting itchy, you know, I had some hives growing. And then eventually turned into something called serum sickness, which is also a pretty rare thing, I think. All the doctors were like amazed that they saw it. I had all these like residents coming into my room, like, oh my God, like this is what serum sickness looks like, just so you know, because you'll probably never see it again or whatever. So basically, serum sickness is when all the joints in your body swell it's an allergic reaction but all your all the joints in your body swell and it the doctor said that it's almost like having arthritis in every joint of your body so to say the least it wasn't very comfortable but honestly i think the worst part was the head to toe hives that i had because i've never been more itchy in my entire life i remember i was in the pediatric wing at that point and i was like cursing and i was like this was the most miserable part this is the third time in the hospital i was like freaking out so that was another four-day ordeal. But then, ultimately, I ended up all right, and I was actually able to play baseball my senior year, and I had a pretty decent season, I'd say. Um, so really, it was that struggle and like emotional battle that I was facing with myself, like being told that I would never play football ever again. And I remember when the doctor told me that, which was right before I went into surgery, I just bawled my eyes out. I didn't even know what to do. Um, and for a long time after that, I really struggled emotionally when I played football my whole entire life. I played for 10 years, and then all of a sudden it's, like, ripped away from you. I think that's the part that made it the hardest. Is like It wasn't like it was senior day and we played our last game or you played in the state championship game and you, you won and then it was over. It was like I, when I woke up that morning – the day I got hurt, I didn't think that that was going to be my last game. And I remember when I came back to one of our, I think it was senior night, um, when I still had, like, stitches in my head and stuff like that, I wanted to walk out with my teammates. Uh, Coach Henley had me say a speech to the players, and that's exactly what I told them. I'm like, don't think that you are going to have another game. Like, don't save anything for, like, next week. Like, give it all that you have tonight because you don't know when it's going to be taken from you. And it definitely, like, put things in perspective for me, like, knowing that, you know, not everything's, like, a given. And Miss Barba uh, knew that I was, like, struggling with not being able to play, and she actually she hooked me up with the coolest football ever. I'm a huge Packers fan. So she contacted the athletic trainer at uh, the Green Bay Packers, um, what was his name again? Pepper Burris. Pepper Burris, right. Okay. I even see him out there every once in a while now. And he sent over a ball that said, To Kevin, best wishes from Brett Favre, uh, Donald Driver, A.J. Hawk, and Greg Jennings. It's like the coolest football ever. It's in a little shrine in my room right now. So that definitely helped. Um, but for the next probably like two years, like when, when I started going to school uh, at Rutgers, not being able to like play a sport and like being in a new place and not having like the friends and camaraderie of the team and I always viewed myself as being an athlete and I was no longer an athlete when I was at school and I really struggled with like coming to terms with that um especially when I found out that the athletes at school called the non-athletes NARPs which stands for non-athletic regular people um because I like to think that I'm more athletic than some of those people but I don't know. Makes me feel better. It helps you sleep at night. Um, 
so I, I really struggle with this, and that's part of the reason why the well, really the main reason why I'm starting this Heads and Tails podcast. So the heads part's obviously coming from my severe head injury. Uh, the tails part is that I want to pe- I want to have my story be the catalyst for other people to share their stories of perseverance um, and to show that when you're at that low point, you know there's people who have gotten through that. So I, I kind of want you know to hear from the people who did get through it to give tips um, to the people who are struggling at the moment to help them, you know, overcome whatever is going on in your life. Not just an injury. It could be, you know, something that happened to your parents or if you have, like, an addiction or, you know, really anything or, like, uh, military service if, you you know, you're wounded in battle or something like that. Um, like, life, life does go on, and I, I think you could be equally happy, if not more happy, than you were, you know, prior to, you know, the injury. You just can't let it kind of become your identity you can't make the injury like who you are you have to kind of get 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 past that in some way and for me i know it was hard and good at the same time so what really started getting me out of my funk was when i started working for the Rutgers football team it's it sucked in one sense in that i had to watch these kids play the game that i loved for so long but in the other sense, it gave me that sense of, like, team and, like, togetherness. And I felt like I was a part of something again. Mm. And that's really what I missed. So for people who are struggling now with whatever they're dealing with, you know, reaching out to other people for help or some sort of organization to join or, or a community, um, I think that could be a major, you know, uh, can give you like, some assistance in you know, getting out of your funk and finding other people to kind of raise you up. Um, well, I think, you know, you're saying this, and I see this a lot with the high school, because at a high school age, when something happens to you, it's like the world. Yeah, it's the end of the world, yeah. And you think you're the only one going through it. Right. So if you have someplace that you can go right. and someone to, someplace to share, because I know when I gave you the story before about Kyle, and I, you were so kind when I called you, and I said, would you do me a favor and call him? Granted, it wasn't a head injury, but he was just told he wasn't going to play football again. Right. So and I knew it, you went through that. And yeah. I called the parents, and the parents were like, no, that would be great, because I asked first, of course, if I can give you their phone number. And um, I thought that was great that you did that, because he didn't really have anybody else to ask that question. Right. You could talk to a teammate who broke his leg, but six to eight weeks later, he's playing. Right, exactly. He's not going to play again. So that was nice that he had someone to talk to. Right. It's. I can't even describe the feeling that it is when someone tells you that you can't do you can't play the sport that you love anymore it really does suck but like where i'm at in my life now like you you think it's the world at the time when it happens mm-hmm. but now you realize it really like it doesn't really mean anything to some degree it, it's not that it doesn't mean anything like you still have all the friendships and stuff that you had while you were playing but in the big scheme of life and the world like what you did your senior year of high school, like, I don't know. It helps me kind of, I don't know, it puts it in perspective for me. <clears throat> well, everything you've been through in your life is what makes you the person that you are. Right. It's yeah. kind of like, yeah, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger mm-hmm. kind of thing. Kind of. And it, in turn, when I'm talking like perspective, like when you think something's hard and when you, when I think back to when I had the injury, I went through all those setbacks, but ultimately I came out of it on top. Like, 
even just like going to get my wisdom teeth out. I'm like, this is nothing. I'm like, I have people drilling into my skull. Like, that's nothing. Like, people are like talking about their surgeries they have to get. And like, I work at a physical therapy place. So there's a lot of people there that I don't have too much sympathy for. But because like they act like their twisted ankle is like this life or death situation. Um, but it's all about your frame of reference. So mm-hmm. if a hangnail is your frame of reference, then maybe a. A, a twisted ankle might be something serious to you, but I don't well, know. you know, I train. Um, I get graduate students in athletic training, and I've over the years helped new EMTs on the on a on squad calls and whatnot because they're new. And I always tell them, persons down on the ground, whether it's an ankle injury, a hand injury, or a severe injury, to them it's the biggest thing that's happening to them in their world. So you have to treat it. Like it is, right? Yes, you can't you can't diminish what they have. So everybody does have a different frame of reference. (laughs) Yeah, they do have a different frame of reference, but that's okay. But you have to treat them like that is the most important because to to them them. it is. Yes, I understand. Um, I just want to backtrack a little bit. Um, Another kind of inspiration to the story because we were talking about how you're not alone, kind of thing. A man by the name of Jay Fraga. He's the founder of the Knockout Project that I've written a few articles for. That's exactly what he's been, what he's done with with his organization. It, it's it's pretty much just strictly concussion uh, related, with mostly uh, post concussion syndrome athletes. But I've written for that a few times. But what he's trying to show is that you're not the only one, because as you know, people can go through post concussion symptoms for years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, have, like, suicidal thoughts and all stuff because they think it's never going to end, you know? Um, So having that outlet to read people's stories to show that, you know, you can get through it and you're not alone, um, I think that's huge. And that's part of the reason why I kind of made this. I'm just trying to make it more of, like, a broader spectrum to Mm kind of get, you know, all injuries and all, um, you know, parties involved. But you introduced me to that site, and I have to tell you, when I've had kids get hurt, like a female soccer player, a male lacrosse player, whatever, I'll tell them, go on the site. You can actually look up your sport and find somebody in your age group. Yeah, he did a great job yes. designing the website, Yeah, and, making um, it really easy. And I've sent, I've sent at student-athletes that way, and I even tell the parents, you know, have them look at this, because sometimes, you know, it gets to a certain point where they get so discouraged and so disappointed and... Why can't I be with my team? Because even at some points, they can't be with their team because they can't be in the sunlight. Right, yeah. You know, or they Sense still have headaches. Light, so yeah. sometimes they can't even be with the team. Other times they can be on the sideline with a hat and glasses. But at least they're known they're not the only ones that feel that way. Right. Um, yeah, I know Jay's been through a ton with his concussions and his recovery from that. But he's very proactive about trying to heal himself, too. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's, you know, you have some kids who... The doctor tells them not to text or go on the phone or um, go on the computer, play video games, but they still do it anyway. Um, so they're not like, they're not being proactive about their recovery. Mm-hmm. But Jay's always given tips to people on uh, what things to try out that, that's helped him. Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of finish up, uh, out of all the injuries that you've seen and you've come across, um, you've been a part of a lot of recoveries of these injuries as well mm-hmm. what are the main like characteristics of these athletes that recover fully and you know go on to you know successful careers not just 
doesn't have to be in sports because sometimes the injuries are career ending, but just overall, like what kind of attitudes do they have? Um, is it like discipline or? Discipline is a part of it because you could just see with the way they work out prior to the injury. Um, but discipline sometimes is a problem because they feel like they don't have it anymore. Right. So, but the fact that they had that history, if you get the right person talking to them, and I, I hope sometimes I am the right person to help them or at least to direct them where to talk, but um, they just, they want to get better. Yeah. They just don't want to hurt anymore. They want to get better. Um, but in me saying that sometimes, though, they can't. It, it takes some people longer than others, so I don't want to. So patience would be yes, one thing. Too. Everybody wants to get better, but you know some people are going to get better a little bit faster than others. So I don't want it to sound like um, just because I want to and it doesn't work for me, I'm lazy. That's not true. Right. Uh, everybody's different. The injuries are so different, but um, it's the patience. It's realizing this is normal for where I'm at right now. That's the biggest thing. Understanding that this is normal right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will get better. Some people it takes them two years. Some people it takes them two weeks. Right. Some people it takes them a month. You know, everybody's so different. But it's that um, patience and just taking a deep breath, being able to relax. Um, you know, and, and I think understanding the injury too is huge. And I really do believe those kids or student athletes or adults or whoever has the injury, if they have someone to talk to that does understand it, like you, what you're doing right now would be huge to help those people right. because you could talk to mom and dad, but mom and dad never had the injury. You could talk to your teammate and they're like, well, yeah, but I'm running on the field and I'm fine. Right. You know, um, it, they don't always understand. So having someone to understand is great. And then having your teammates as a support system, you know, somebody else that's in athletics and welcoming you, welcome, welcoming you back on the field. Right. Cause a lot of times yes. you have like, I, I remember when we were in school, like the kids with the hamstring injuries were mm-hmm. like, oh, you're just trying to get out of practice, mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. So even being supportive of what you may think might be a minor injury, you know, could lead to something a lot worse if you, if, you know, and then the players feel pressured to get out there and they come back too soon. So that definitely goes along with like creating a culture of acceptance of injury too, which I find is, it's an interesting topic. And I don't, I think it might be a while before it, improves but well let's put this on the table too sometimes there are people that um don't want to do conditioning right yeah. they'll exaggerate something luckily those are f- fewer than the ones that are hurt but it sometimes helps or hurts i should say the people that really do have something going on right but um hopefully your friends will understand what's going on and they'll support you and and uh just include you in everything all right um Trying to think if I so you brought up the baby thing for a reason, the baby thing. Yeah, you had about me uh, delivering the baby. I thought I just thought it was cool because you like okay. you you put life into me. Well, that's what we didn't get to say that. That's what I wanted to say. Um, I don't know where you'd fit that in though. Your injury wasn't one that was supposed to come out as well. Right. And and I always thought that you know when I had like you said when I delivered that baby and I got the new life in my hands, I kind of zapped you with it that night, and that was one of the reasons why you did better. You know, or at least I like to think that helped you out. Right. Because your injury doesn't always turn out so well. So I think I had a little, a little help that night. Yeah, and I, I've been reading about every once in a while, like an article will pop up about some kid who had the exact same injury as mm-hmm. me, and he wasn't as lucky as I was. He, either he passed away or he's like severely handicapped. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do feel like extremely fortunate that I had an athletic trainer to 
really saved my life because I, I, I just read an article probably a week ago about a student, uh, a football player in West Virginia who had the same injury as me, and he, he did have a diagnosed concussion, and he came back. He was cleared to come back, but his football coach did the return to play. Like That's like the standard in West Virginia or something, that mm-hmm. the football coach does the, the return to play. Not an athletic trainer, not a physical therapist, not anyone with like any kind of medical credential. Only the person who wants him to be on the field is... Uh, is 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 doing that protocol and well, i was know, like i'd be curious to know what the law is because the law in our state in new jersey um it has to be a medical professional right you know that's it states that it has to be a medical professional and then a medical doctor a licensed new jersey physician must clear you right not not a and that's the way it, it should be mm-hmm. so what i ultimately want to do with this podcast um and the heads and tails organization is to start a, a non-profit where we raise money to hire athletic trainers in schools that don't have them with contact sports. Because to me, having contact sports and no athletic trainer is like a crime. It really is. Because you never know what could happen, not just with head injuries, but with, you know, you have like the sudden cardiac arrests and like basketball players and dehydration, like you said, with the, um, it's not keto acidosis, it's uh, rhabdo, right. Um, I'm on a diabetes kick or something. At work, we were doing, like, diabetes research, and that's, like, all I think about. Um, so I think that that could make, like, a huge impact in the lives of everyone. Like, I don't even – I wouldn't be here. This podcast wouldn't exist if athletic trainers um, – if an athletic trainer wasn't hired at my school. So I kind of want to give that opportunity to other athletes to hopefully continue their careers long-lasting and I'm sure save a few lives along the way, too. You have any any parting thoughts? Any parting thoughts? Other than I'm proud of you, and I think you're doing a great job here. Thanks, Miss Barba. Yes, anytime. I appreciate you sitting down with me today, and this is actually take three of the podcast because <laughs> I've had some microphone issues that I've resolved, thankfully. Um, but yeah, let's we'll we'll end it here, and next week we'll have uh, Lou Van Orsky's interview. Well, and Miss Barbara was actually Lou's athletic trainer as well. Um, and that's an interesting story, too. And another guy who was told that he couldn't play football ever again. But you'll never guess what happened. when It wasn't just tears. It was a little more serious than that. So stay tuned for next week. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Miss Barbara. You're welcome. I love you. <laughs> I love you, too. Hope everyone enjoyed the first episode of the podcast. Uh, if you could go to Instagram and follow at Heads and Tails. That's Heads as in your head, the letter N, Tails as in T A L E S, and you can stay up to date on what interviews we have coming up. Feel also feel free to leave some feedback over on the blog. I'm new to this whole thing, so you could definitely use some constructive criticism. Lastly, if you're feeling really inspired, if you could leave a five star review on iTunes. Uh, that'd be greatly appreciated and that will help spread the word of the heads and tails podcast. Thanks guys. See you next week.